This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Ray Shapak. I'm the CFO of iManage. You're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 318. As we look to grow, sometimes the data that we need to look at is Uh, in in a different way than just the impact on the financial statement. And what I mean by that is sometimes when you enter a new market or a new service, there are costs that you might incur and and maybe some losses up front. And uh, if you were just to make a strictly P&L decision, you might make a different decision than if you look at, for example, the lifetime value of the customers that you're getting and sort of spread those initial losses or upfront costs over the life cycle of that customer. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we're very pleased to welcome back CFO Renee Hornbaker of Stream of Dallas, Texas. Renee Hornbaker's career as a finance leader now spans 20 years, having served multiple CFO tours of duty inside different industries and different sized companies. Her perspective on the role of the CFO and what's changing is thought-provoking but measured a manner that unquestionably speaks to her chosen profession. We speak to Renee after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows, and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. When energy was first deregulated in Texas, which is where Stream was founded, and it was one of the first major markets to become deregulated, There weren't many customers that decided to switch away from the original utility provider. And the founders of the company were trying to understand why is that. And they looked at um, the word of mouth. They were at a soccer game with their kids. And uh, people were sharing ideas on movies to see your restaurant to go to. And they said, well, why couldn't we do that with energy? And what they did was decide that people weren't switching energy because they were fearful. They were fearful of who would read their meters. 
Will they have to change the wires coming into their house? And if you could get some independent sales associates that can talk to their friends and family about it and reassure them that nothing changes except who they send the bill to and, uh, and actually would have even better customer service because they would have them to help intercede on their behalf. It was a revolution that really transformed the uh, retail electricity industry in Texas. And can I, I, I don't recall when you first uh, joined the company. It sounds like you start, you, you were one of the original uh, C-suite members. Is that, is that accurate? No, that's not, no, that's not correct. I started uh, about six years ago. The company had grown uh, into several other markets and um, they had you know, had this significant growth and I was brought in to help take the company to the next level because with as you know, many entrepreneurial companies, when they have growth and they get to a certain level, they need basic foundations and processes and things that may not happen, particularly during times of rapid growth. And so that's why I came into the company, to help build that foundation, to help take the company to the next level. You've had several tours of duty as a CFO. One at uh, FlowServe, which began back in the in the late 1990s, and you were there eight years. I'm curious how this challenge, this opportunity, uh, compared to some of your earlier finance leadership roles. Yeah, it's a great question, and there's a lot of similarities in that all of my stint to CFO has been being a catalyst for change. And uh, when I went to FlowServe, it was being a catalyst to help the company grow and take it to the next level and building some of the foundation processes. And uh, at Shared Technologies, it was a very similar fact pattern. The company had been um, spun out of whatever company and had no real infrastructure. And again, it was about building that foundation for growth. And uh, the same thing is true at Stream. I saw the opportunity here that this was a wonderful platform that we could build on, and it just needed a little fine-tuning to uh, take it to the next level. I want to talk to you a little bit about, along the way, if I, I go to, of course, the, the Stream website today, uh, people quickly realize that it's much more than an energy company today. If you look under the tab, it's energy services. It's wireless services. It's, it's health care. You have an offering called Virtual MD, and it's home services is the way you folks look at the market today, which includes a number of offerings as well. But share with us how, and, and for some of us, it would seem like these are different different offerings, very unlike, I'm sure there are synergies as well. But can you share with us how the company grew into these new opportunities? Yes, it's it's um, actually very logical when you think about it. The company, uh, in, in terms of energy, we don't produce energy. We buy energy for the customers that we acquire, and we provide it to them. And the same thing is true with these other services. As we looked at how could we expand and grow beyond just deregulated energy, we looked at where else could we leverage uh, providers to, that we could build on their 
network on their systems, on their processes and products, and we could be the uh, marketing arm for, for that and build our business off of that. Uh, so, for example, in wireless, we don't own any cell towers or any of that. We leverage our relationship with Sprint, and we provide services to our customers on the Sprint network. And the same thing is true with some of these other services. We don't own the product or the service itself, but we work together customers and provide those services through our partners. And it's a very simple model that works pretty well. And one of the reasons that it does is because we have this great army of independent sales people that can sell multiple services now. And um, so if they're selling energy services to their friends or family, they can also sell wireless services or they can sell uh, medical uh, tel tel um, medical services online, sorry. Uh, they can sell uh, home services. So they can sell other things and it helps them build their businesses faster because they have multiple things that they can offer and leverage with their, their customers. And for Stream, what it does is it helps make us have stickier customers because when we have customers that use multiple of our services, they become more comfortable with us and uh, are more likely to stay a customer of ours. Now, just from, a, from the finance uh, point of view, is there something in terms of financial metrics or that you can share that you began that will help you look at the world a little differently as the company changed? Sure. Uh, actually, some of the metrics are the same and some are different. And some of the first things that we do when we look to expand into some other service is what are the risks associated with that service and what are the, the risk mitigation factors? Uh, in related to that growth, and can we can we quantify them and, and mitigate them? The other thing that uh, we look at is the certain metrics that are the same for all of our businesses, such as customer growth, number of new customers, the um, customer life cycle, how long they stay a customer, how uh, what is the turnover rate of our customers. Uh, what is the profitability of our customers? All those things are fairly standard. The unit of metric uh, will be different. And one of the things that's important for us is some services don't have as high a margin as other services. So we have to look at what can we afford to pay in terms of commission to our independent associates and stream still make money in order to provide these services. And so we may have different ways that the compensation plan changes based on the profitability of the, of the service. Take us back. I mean, are, are you more customer-centric today as a finance leader than you were in some of your earlier CFO roles? I would say definitely so. I think that today, uh, that particularly in a retail business, the customer is really important. In a, uh, in a B2B business, it's a little bit harder to establish 
um, that kind of relationship. But in a, in a retail environment, it's much easier to get involved with customer service. I handle uh, many times, uh, because my information is on the website, I, if a customer has a, a, an issue with a payment, and they may just call me instead of customer support. And I'm happy to work with our customers, and it's very important for us to be customer-centric. And uh, we know that providing good customer service is the only way that we gather new customers and keep the ones that we have. And so it's very important. And we're, all the executives in the company are really focused on customer service. The number of technology tools that are available today, are there things that you used to get, for, you know, spend too much time on, uh, that today you're, you're spending that time elsewhere because of technology. That's what we all suspect. But is it true? Yes, it is true. There are many more tools that can provide uh, data analytics and dashboards that we don't have to hunt and peck for the information or write complex uh, formulas or equations to get the information. There are many more tools that allow us to be able to have that information much easier, which means that we can look at more data because it's easier to access data and we can get more insights than ever before because there's easier ways to access the information and data. For example, if we're looking at a particular variance in something, we can drill down much easier and slice and dice the information in multiple ways to get true insights into reasons for the variances and if they're good variances, how do we capitalize on that? And if there are variances we don't like, how do we improve that? And by have, being able to get down to the customer level, to the type of service level, to the area where that customer resides, all of that information is much easier for us to get at and, and make uh, logical conclusions and get insights so that we can affect the business. And those tools, while they existed, were just not as, e weren't as easy to access. The, inf the data was always there. It was just not as easy to access as we can today with the tools that we have. Now, a robust forecasting function is a primary concern for uh, this company, perhaps more critical to this business than other industries, given its energy focus or its uh, focus on the consumption of energy. Would you agree, or what would you tell us? No, it's, it's absolutely critical, and it's something because of the way that we don't produce a product, we acquire products. We have to make sure that we have very good forecast of what demand will be. And um, we do that from multiple ways, and it's looking at, particularly, for example, in the energy business, we look at things like what is normal usage for that customer? What is the weather impact in a certain period of time going to have an impact on that customer? And all of those things go into forecasts, and we do forecasts on a, a regular basis. We update our forecasts every month, but more importantly, certain forecasts, such as what we need to procure for energy, we update every day because it's so important because the weather can change 
on a daily basis. So we have to make sure that we've got the right amount of energy to deliver to our customers. And if we're short, it can cost you quite a bit. And if you're long, it can cost you quite a bit. So having really good, solid forecasts are important. When uh, the forecast reveals uh, perhaps a risk or an opportunity that might not be everything uh, the company hoped for, and you have to uh, perhaps change gears with your salespeople or whatever it might be, can you maybe illustrate for us how uh, finance can influence the organization to change gears? Um, and, and am I how do you like how I'm characterizing that? How would you look at the world? Yeah. Well, that's, that's very fair. For example, if we see that costs change, uh, maybe the cost of energy during a certain time period um, is increasing a fair amount, uh, we can notify um, the business and work with the business and make sure that we're pricing products uh, currently, properly to make sure that we're not uh, missing uh, out on margin opportunities and we're not losing uh, margin because of where the costs are coming in. And we also have to take into consideration, though, the market and what the competition is charging, what uh, is available out there uh, to them, and uh, what rates they've been on, and there's just a lot of variables. And sometimes we have to change the nature of the products. For example, you, you might think, well, how do you change an energy product? Well, you can change the term of the product. If the, uh, the costs are really expected to spike high for three months and then go back down to normal levels, you might have a product with a longer term to, to ease out some of the spikes in the costs and you can still make money rather than having to price something very high to cover those short-term costs. And that's where we work with the businesses to improve the overall profitability. And uh, another thing that can have an impact is the mix. If we're signing up a lot of customers on a lower margin service, uh, what can we do to, one, improve the margins on that, and two, can we change the mix a bit by make, maybe offering some, a more attractive product um, that has a better margin but will also be very attractive and steer the customers in that direction. And we work with our independent sales force to market those services we call products in a way that is good for them that's good for us. Now, I want to understand better the, the skill mix uh, of the finance team. Are you, has it, is it changing? Are, are you looking to add different skills than uh, you might have expected when you first joined the company? Are there, is the, the mix of skills on the finance team changing? Absolutely. When we talked earlier about the importance of uh, tools and forecasting and, and some of those metrics, uh, people with business intelligence and data analytics background are very important to the finance team so that we get the insights that we need to really be able to affect the business. And that makeup has changed. When I first joined the company, it was mostly about having CPAs to make sure that the financial records were 
accurate. Um, next, we focus on the forecasting uh, talent. And now we're focusing on business intelligence and data analytics and how do we get better insights so that we can influence the business in the right ways. Did you, how that team spends its time, uh, so you change the skill set, and, and curious to find out, are they, is your, is your team spending more time with different parts of the organization? And we hear the, uh, the word embed today when we talk about finance, but how is finance collaborating today differently than it has in the past? How, how do you view it? I would say absolutely so, and I think some of that is based, based on the skill sets of the people that we've added to the organization. Uh, what they were mostly just accountant-type people. There was some interaction, of course, with the business, but as you want to do more dynamic forecasting, it's very important to be very closely connected with the business so that um, you understand that we finance understands what we're doing, uh, what they're doing, and how is that going to affect the forecast for the company. And then providing insights back to them on what the business is proposing or has done and how that's influencing the financial results. So it's having that very close and tight connection has become really, really important. And then the data analytics and business intelligence, even more so. Again, it's kind of uh, providing those insights and working to as collaboratively to really improve the overall results of the business. Renee, now you earlier emphasized how uh, technology and technology tools have really uh, empowered uh, your finance function, but how involved did you have to become uh, in the adoption of these tools? And I imagine, uh, you know, there was close collaboration with the technology team, but, but really how close? I would say that I, me personally, probably spent a little bit of time on that, but really the, the team that we have is really responsible for developing it. My role has been mostly, I'm, I'm less concerned about what technology we use as opposed to how is it performing and is it, it giving us the information in the way that we need it. And so I, I pretty much leave up to the technology people the, the tools and just give them the requirements for what we need and um, and then they provide the tools that, that make it happen. I want to circle back uh, to the customer for a moment. As uh, every, every finance leader becomes more focused on helping their organization become forward-looking, the customer uh, becomes sort of this obvious alignment where finance needs to be speaking to customers regularly uh, to understand better where future opportunities may be. Am I overstating that? I, I would say not necessarily. Um, I, I think the focus on the customer is very important. Uh, from our viewpoint, we have hundreds of thousands of customers, so it's very difficult to focus on any one customer. Um, it's more the, the overall nature of the customer and the mix of customers and um, the types of different products that customers finding for is important. 
Uh, it's more about customer service. It's more about customer retention. And what are we doing in terms of our overall uh, bundle of, of services to attract and retain customers? And um, it's very difficult to focus on just any one customer unless a customer has a particular issue or question that maybe we can help with but because we just have so many. Okay. You know, it was so long ago, I had a different interview format uh, originally, uh, but I'd love to ask you um, some career-oriented questions unless there's uh, some other aspect of a stream you'd like to explore a little with us. Um, but otherwise, I would, I would, and again, I'm, I'm entirely open to that. I'm not, um, again, it sounds like it's rather, your, your team's rather dynamic. You've changed the skill sets. You're applying, uh, you know, increasingly tracking all, all aspects of business. Um, is that all right, Renee? I'm sure. If I could just uh, diverge for one minute, I think one thing that is an interesting insight is that as we look to grow, sometimes the data that we need to look at is um, in a different way than just the impact on the financial statement. And what I mean by that is sometimes when you enter a new market or a new service, there are costs that you might incur and in, in maybe some losses up front. And uh, if you were just to make a strictly P&L decision, you might make a different decision than if you look at, for example, the lifetime value of the customers that you're getting and sort of spread those initial losses or upfront costs <clears throat> excuse me, over the life cycle of that customer. And so we have been doing that, um, looking at it both ways, because I think it, it illuminates uh, some things for the business and maybe makes us have some different decisions than if we strictly looked at it on a straight, what is it doing for us today versus making some investment for the long term. Renee, having you, uh, you join us here, I can't uh, resist the opportunity uh, to enter uh, with you our mentoring round where we begin by asking, what was that piece of advice you wish someone had given you as you entered the CFO office for the first time? What would that have been? Oh, boy. Off the top of my head, I would say listen uh, a lot. And I think it's really important not to go in with preconceived notions that maybe uh, I know that certain times along the way I had when I went into a CFO role and really to listen with different, to different people in the organization and understand um, their pain points before developing solutions. Sometimes uh, it's very easy, as a, particularly as an experienced CFO, to come into an organization and think you have the answers that will solve all the issues. And there are always things that you don't know. And so it's, I've, I've, in hindsight, I would listen more and uh, rather than just rush in to, uh, to make changes and do things differently. Is there a personal habit that you have that you believe has contributed to your professional success? 
the personal habit I have, I guess, is to always be inquisitive and always um, ask questions. If I don't know, if I don't understand, if something doesn't make sense, to ask the questions. I think that has been very critical because it allows me to be much more proactive in coming up with solutions to um, opportunities or challenges or whatever. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Uh, is that a you want to uh, think about? No, that I or? can absolutely. No, I can absolutely address that. The thing that is most exciting to me about finance and business today is with all the new tools that we have, we can have a much more significant impact on the business because we can get better insights faster, and therefore we can communicate those with the business, work with the business to really impact and influence the business. And that's something that has evolved. Um, And it's always been important, but having those tools today just makes us much more effective. I'm curious about um, your tools uh, in terms of how data is displayed, in the terms of how, you know, everyone uh, grew up on Excel. Are you doing things differently? Are you adopting some of these new ways of displaying data just so you can educate people across the organization in a easier fashion? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. In fact, uh, I would say we're in the midst of um, transforming some of how we, we display information. Historically, I think we've been traditionally displaying, particularly financial information, in the form of what looks like charts or spreadsheets, uh, looks like financial statement data. And instead, we're going to more, um, I don't want to say pictographs, but more uh, what's the story we're trying to tell and what what is the, what are the numbers telling us and then how do we best represent that story to the users, whether it's the board, whether it's a department, whether it's some other element of the business, it's how do we best tell that story? And it's not in a, a P&L type of format. There are many other things that have, can have financial information in it, but it doesn't have to be in that P&L format. Because when you look at a P&L, there's lots of elements on a P&L that may not be significant. But there will be certain areas that will tell the story and what's really going on in the business. And that's what we're working on right now is transforming how we tell that story to the users of financial information so that they come away with insights from that information. The thought that occurs to me is that, well, the, the people who might understand better how to display or tell that story might not reside in finance where everyone's grown up on Excel, right? That's correct. That is correct. And so actually we've engaged uh, with our marketing group um, to help us better um, display how to tell that story and help teach us um, the best ways to communicate the stories and um, it's, it's been a very good collaborative effort to, to, uh, to do that. And, um, it, it, it's, and also we have an innovation group, and they've also been helping us 
uh, work out the best ways to tell some of the stories. Because if they don't really know or understand the financial information, then they will draw out of us what is the story and then help us figure out the best way to present it. Now, sometimes what they propose doesn't always, you know, in the long run make sense. But together we work to come up with something that really is the best way to present information. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We're about to ask Renee for her 12-month finance leader priorities, right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Renee, over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months, first of all, is to continue to work on the, those stories, the um, building those financial stories um, so that uh, we're presenting information that's more easily digestible and people then can potentially take action as a result of that, knowing what the takeaways are. The, the second item is instilling in each of our financial members of our financial organization more analytical skills so that even someone that's basically doing journal entries will have more insights into things that may, if they're doing things just routinely, they may not pick up on something that might be a trend that we need to be concerned about or might be an issue. And so developing that capability is important for their career growth and it's important for the company. And um, then thirdly, it's just continuing to work with the businesses to improve the profitability, improve the growth opportunities, and uh, continue to drive the organization forward. Renee Hornbaker, once again, it's been a privilege. Thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Okay, thank you, Jack. It's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different 
CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you wanna consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader Magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening. Thank you.